And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 312, aka Year 7, Week 10, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC and KS. And for now, we're going to keep giving out the phone number, although we have some like clubhouse stuff in the works, maybe, perhaps, for future episodes. Uh, but for now, 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Stay tuned for when Clubhouse is uh, or launched. Uh, and we're probably back on LRN.fm. Share that news with you. Uh, they've, they've been working feverishly at the LRN slash Free Talk Live studios. And the last word I got that everything was uh, functioning pre-raid. So we should be back on LRN.fm. Uh, what is going on with you guys this week? Well, are we open to general topics that we? <laughs> well, the, I mean, I, I asked you pre-show if you had watched the the train wreck that was the Biden press conference, um, and you wanted to comment on, I guess, the uh, ongoing immigration crisis policy position, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, of course consider the the crisis. <clears throat> is not that people want to leave those countries and come to the United States. The crisis is that um, Biden, as with all of his predecessors, uh, has uh, you know put up all these obstacles to people just finding a place of freedom and prosperity and leaving tyranny. Um, 150 years ago, when black slaves were trying to flee from plantations in the South and go to the North, they were rounded up and sent back uh, uh, to to uh, their plantations. <clears throat> there were a few abolitionists who considered this um, standing in the way of, of freedom and liberty. Um, and uh, today we have this uh, the same kind of phenomenon, but not, not leaving private uh, cotton plantations, but leaving countries where they are considered slaves of their populate of their government officials, trying to find a, a place of freedom and prosperity. And still most of the Americans consider, well, the whole country as their backyard, and no one dare um, uh, cross into that, even though you know people want to hire them, people want to employ them, people want to provide housing for them. Uh, they want to start jobs and, and, uh, and uh, create uh, uh, wealth and prosperity for themselves and their families. Um, it's, it's the new abolition, and it continues on. Just uh, It's the, the state plantation owner uh, treating people as if they don't have rights to freedom. Well, look, it's not that Americans don't want them here. It's that Americans want them to go through the proper legal channels to come <laughs> here legally. You know, that's an interesting point that people say, well, yeah, they should just go through the legal channels. That's like saying, um, how, many, how many customers would Walmart have? If they said, well, <clears throat> yeah, come to their store, buy everything you want, uh, but we're going to have one stodgy old clerk at the registration for, for checkout. You know, people say, well, they're going to have to wait in line for hours or days before they can check out. You know, no, the marketplace considers human beings as opportunities, but the government considers them as obstacles and, and a bother. That's what the, the problem is at the DMV. You want to go down to the Department of Motor Vehicle and get your license plate? They could care less. So you have to wait for hours and hours, maybe even uh, you know, schedule appointments and 
and not you know they don't you know they don't treat human beings as as customers they treat them as uh, a bother to them and that's sure. what the you know there's they say there's so few judges to to handle their cases there's so few um facilities to handle their cases just put on a lot more or or get out of the way what do, what do they need all the paperwork for sure but it, it's less like a walmart and more like a sam's club right you're not allowed to shop there unless you get the membership Right. If you don't have the membership, you don't come through the door. You don't come barging through the door, pretending to be a shopper, taking up all the discounts that, you know, paying club members get by going through the proper channels to get their membership. You you shop elsewhere or, you know, you go to Walmart and and us club members, you know, who've who've gone in the right way, filled out the proper paperwork. uh, We get the benefits of the club membership. Well, I, I I don't see the parallel. I mean, I I see what you're doing. That's a nice uh, uh, nice illustration. But human beings who want to come in and and deal with other human beings, who has the right to stop them? Um, and it's it's not like we're a private organization and we've all agreed that we we're going to be a, a, a members of this uh, of this thing and nobody else is allowed. Yeah, but um, membership, citizenship, you know, same throughout same the idea. Of this country have come in. So what? You know, it's. I, I, Sam's would would be very very happy to have a lot more people uh, apply for membership. Okay, and say that you want to apply for membership, but they say, well, you got to wait ten years to apply for membership. They don't do that. They have customer service, and they're eager to sign you up right away. Okay, well, let you to come. And the only reason they have a membership thing is because a government requirement that you have that before you can be a certain tax exempt. Let me let me give you a local example then. Uh, there is a, a, a gun club here locally uh, that is very, very popular, and they have a cap on membership. And once the membership gets capped out, they start a waiting list. And you can get on the waiting list, uh, but the membership renewal is like 90-some-odd percent per year. So, like, the people on the waiting list aren't, aren't moving up anytime soon. And at some point, I think either, you know, prior to the pandemic or during the pandemic, uh, they stopped putting people on the membership on, on the waiting list. Cause like we are full, we are full and there's too many people waiting to come in. And, you know, whereas we may be able to make more money by allowing everyone, uh, willy nilly who wants to become a member, pay their membership dues and get into this exclusive club. Uh, the fact of the matter is if we let all those people in the, uh, the quality of the club will diminish to the point where it's no longer a benefit to our, you know, longstanding paying members. So I have no objection to, to a private company or a private household doing that sort of thing, but I object to them assuming that they have the right to establish those those rules of behavior for everybody in their society. There are a lot of people. For example, there were a lot of uh, Jewish families living in America that wanted to provide refuge for their uh, families in Europe during World during uh, World War II and prior to World War II, uh, they said we'll take them, we'll we'll welcome them, we'll take we'll help them find jobs, uh, just as the, the uh, as the Irish did before, as the Italians did before, as the Polish did before, um, and they wanted they had every right to welcome them and take care of them and and uh, you know help them get integrated into society, but. Because some people don't like the others, they say no, you can't, uh, you can't do that. This whole notion of of citizenship is something imposed by the state. Uh, it doesn't determine uh, what rights you have as a human being 
to invite your neighbors or to your, your family members to come and join you and, and to escape just slaughter in other places. Sure. But li libertarians are always trying to make the claim that, you know, maybe government should be run more like a business, right? With, with the profit incentive, the profit modus, customer service, customer satisfaction at the forefront. Uh, and, and if you inundate that um, and degrade the quality of that service by, by overburdening it with customers, members, citizens, whatever you want to call it, um, you, you, you may degrade the quality of life for everyone. So exclusive membership, close off the borders. No, that, that's always the assumption that more people are harmful to the, to the rest. And the history of the, of the economy has proved just the opposite. That's why people move to cities, because that's where prosperity is. I mean, if, if people were a problem, they would all be spreading out as much as they could into the, into the empty spaces around the country. But the whole history of human beings throughout history and throughout the world is to move to crowded spaces because that's where the greater economies of scale, the greater comparative advantage, the greater dynamics of, of human interaction occur. Uh, they, they move to cities in crowded areas. It's, it, there's no such thing as uh, there's too many people to be prosperous. It's, it's just the opposite. The more and more people you've had, uh, the, the, uh, as long as they have the freedom to act and to take jobs and produce wealth, they produce far, far greater wealth. That's where both the United Kingdom and, and the United States have, have uh, demonstrated that over the years, as their populations grew, their wealth per person uh, soared uh, uh, exponentially. But surely there's a limit. Right. If you if no. you look at so. why should there be a limit? They, the government always says, you know, there, there's a fixed pie and therefore there's there's going to be a limit. But um, well, because we're not it, we're not dealing with infinite resources and infinite space. Well, right. If, if you look at within, when you when you consider the the, the human uh, abilities through technology to to uh, we, we've always thought we were going to run out of food. We've always thought we were going to run out of oil. And yet you turn around and there's more food than ever before per capita. There's more oil than ever before per capita because technology has always, always um, uh, blindsided the, the doomsayers who said we're going to run out of everything. We've got an in, uh, finite surf, uh, uh, resources when in fact it's just the opposite. We have uh, with our technology and human cap capacity, we've always been um, uh, reversing that notion that we're going to run out. I mean, I've, I've seen the living conditions in some of the Hong Kong, um, apartments. Uh, I I've seen, you know, how small the uh, New York apartments can be or San Francisco where there's, you know, there's limited space there, you know, limited supply over demand. Um, and the prices go up and you get less for it. So does that not extend? Are you, are you saying that the, the United States is just too vast of a landscape to ever, you know, to ever fill up to that extent? Because Whenever there's a shortage, it's because of government actions that's prevented it. Take, take Hong Kong. They, they, they have, um, it's just a city-state, basically. It's the highest per, per capita, uh, I mean, highest um, concentration of population in the world. I think it's something like uh, 7,000. Uh, 7, know, I, I don't remember the numbers. I used to have those numbers at my fingertips. But in any case, one of the most densely populated countries in the world. And yet still the government has zoned 40% of Hong Kong as country park where people aren't allowed to live. And so they, 
you know, if, if the government didn't have that restriction and people were allowed to move to those areas, they'd have a lot more space. Same thing in Japan, same thing in Hawaii. They always say, oh, we're, we're an island community. We can only uh, accommodate so many people. In Hawaii, they've only zoned 5% of the land area for all commercial and residential use. And it's because of those government restrictions that you have crowded conditions and high, high expensive uh, expense for housing. If the government ended those restrictions, instead of having uh, you know, just vast areas of conservation land or military reservation land, um, <clears throat> they would be able to produce all the housing that, uh, that people could, would, would uh, be able to enjoy and afford. Let me, let me uh, pull up a quote here from Thomas Sowell, a known economist. Uh, the first lesson of economics is scarcity. There is never enough of anything to satisfy all those who want it. Uh, the first lesson of politics is to disregard the first lesson of economics. Uh, point being that there are scarce resources, right? And, th th and there are more people who want access to those than may be available to, to those who want it. Um, and what I hear now sounds like, you know, the, the second or the, the second part of that which is the first lesson of politics is to disregard that, right? Let them all in because there's clearly an abundance of everything for everybody uh, in, in, in the United States. We have no scarcity at all if the government were to get out of the way. No, well, Thomas Sowell <clears throat> is uh, correct in talking about economics as being scarcity, meaning you always have to make choices whenever you want, to, yeah. want something, you have to give up something else. But he's, he would be one of the first ones to advocate uh, uh, the freedom of the marketplace. He was a huge champion of, of, of free markets and the abilities of free markets and free societies to produce an abundance of wealth. It's not, we don't get our wealth from, from government decree and government uh, mandates. We get it from uh, productive human beings. And this country uh, has had a, a tremendous influx of, of immigrants throughout. And you look at almost Every economist in the country will say that the that immigrants have contributed enormously to the prosperity and growth in the country. They're twice as likely to start uh, uh, to be entrepreneurs and start businesses uh, as uh, the native-born population. Uh, Fifty-one percent of all the um, um, the uh, new venture capital uh, venture projects has been started by immigrants in the last ten years. Uh, they're, they're, they're tremendously uh, productive. And we're not saying that uh, uh, what, what you're suggesting is that, well, that there's, there's no room for uh, immigrants. And I'm saying that it's not a matter of uh, no room for immigrants, that what people have always been xenophobic, they've always been fearful of uh, losing their jobs, they've been fearful of uh, other people's religions and other people's uh, um, uh, skin color, and so they use all kinds of artificial barriers to prevent them from growing. But we've seen just the opposite with uh, with freedom. Where there's freedom, there's opportunity for people to produce uh, an astounding amount of wealth. Well, what I'm what I'm suggesting is that if we if there is scarcity and we do have to choose, right? Why not choose Americans first? Why not look out for the best interests of the people already here? rather than looking out for the, the global interest of all those who wish to come here, right? Knowing full well that at some point, right? Or maybe I'm wrong. There's a point of diminishing returns uh, 
No, I want to no, say it has to be just the opposite. It's it's not diminishing returns. Uh, the greater economies of scale, the greater benefits of comparative advantage, the greater benefits of of uh, prosperity come with more resources, and that's human resources. Um, you know, it would be like saying, well, back in 1900, well, we had about all the wealth we could we could possibly manage with the the people that we had at the time. We shouldn't allow any more people. So there would be uh, uh, a cap of let's say 100 million people in the in the country here, but we have many times more wealth per person with three times as many people as we had 100 years ago. Yeah, it hasn't hurt the United States. It hasn't hurt the Americans. In fact, as a matter of fact, it's the people who are already here who have benefited by those newcomers who came with all kinds of energy and ideas. I mean, it's a sort of self-selective group. The people who are willing to leave uh, behind everything that's familiar to them and take the the risks of going to a place that's unfamiliar and have the um, they they have the high degree of energy and and diligence to make great new wealth, you know. It's and and they that has benefited the ones who are here. It it didn't hurt the people who were here. Sure. They, so maybe they, we they haven't hit that point change. yet. Well, yeah, but. But there's there's no way, except by politics and arbitrarily setting a, uh, a a point at which you've reached that limit. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, right? Wouldn't well, here's, wouldn't here's wouldn't, wouldn't the market and As the results dictate grow, that? Almost all of the industrial countries of the world, um, actually, all except the United States, uh, you know, all the countries of Europe that are you know members and and around the world that are members of the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, that the club of of industrial countries of the world, you know, some fifty countries or so, all of them, as they've increased their prosperity, have declining populations because as they get larger and more prosperous, they don't need a, they don't have as large families, they don't have give as many births to children, so they're all below the replacement rate. And so they're experiencing declining population with their greater prosperity. And so you have more and more people come, and that helps your prosperity, and, and your, your population declines. So you actually benefit by having more people come in. Like, for example, Japan, they've got an aging population, and they're finding, my gosh, how are we going to be able to sustain this with such a small um, labor group uh, 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 being born? They need immigrants to come in and sustain the the, the vast new elderly population that is aging and, and not able to maintain an, an economy. That almost so sounds like an argument for the benefit. contrary, though. If you're if you're saying less population equals more prosperity, keep no, them out. No, no, prosperity is a form of birth control. When people get more prosperous, they concentrate greater wealth on fewer and fewer children to give them better education and, and skills. They don't they don't need the, yeah. the vast families of eight children or ten children uh, as they used to think centuries ago uh, to uh, to sustain their their family and their uh, old age because so many people would re- would die. Uh, you know, but we have we have medical care so that people don't don't die at young age. People can live longer. They can live much better, much better uh, life, so they don't uh, have anywhere near the pressure for large families. I don't know. There are lots of reasons why people are having fewer and fewer children. Uh, Russia is having very few children. Uh, you know, Czech Republic is having few children. Poland, that's a largely Catholic country, uh, 
has a declining population rate because all their families are very, very small. I mean, I guess birth control is probably uh, quite widespread and accessible now too. And so a lot of countries are having fewer children. So it, that's, that's the consequence of prosperity. Okay. So people are having fewer children. So in order to keep, in order to keep the economy prosperous, you have to import those bodies from somewhere else? Well, they're, they're finding in Japan that, yeah, in order to have a continuing labor force, uh, they, they want to have. And the, the great thing about immigrants is they, they a lot of times usually come in their most productive years. I mean, it's like if you give birth to someone, it's like 18 years of taking care of them and teaching them culture and manage and, and, and language and skills and all that before they're productive. But immigrants that come, they're instantly productive. In fact, they're some of the most productive. And they're the ones that are being able to pick the lettuce out in the in the fields and 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 uh, uh, handle the, the 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 chicken farms that are producing um, a vast amount of the, the food wealth for for the country. Americans don't want to take that kind of work. They we they're underappreciated how much work and prosperity are brought by these people from other countries. And if if um, if we don't accept them and help keep our industry and, and economy vital, uh, the companies will just move abroad. They say, well, you know, okay, if we can't hire people to, to, to pick our lettuce here or to, uh, to make our cars here, we'll move the factory abroad across the border where we can get access to more of those people. I don't have a problem with that either. Countries should be free to move wherever they want, wherever they can, you know, get the best bang for the buck. Yeah. Yeah. Or was it Ford that, you know, after Trump left office and Ford's like, okay, going back to Mexico. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Good. That's right. That's right. If you moving to Mexico means you're going to make cheaper trucks, you know, of, of similar quality, and then I'll pay less as a consumer, I'm for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the protectionists like uh, Trump and Biden both don't see that opening up trade is the greatest way to diminish that migration that they fear. Because if you could, if people in Belize and and Honduras and, and uh, Guatemala and, uh, uh, and in El Salvador could become prosperous by selling their sugar to the United States. And also if they ended the drug war so they didn't become uh, prosperous in the black market uh, in uh, enriching you know, the gangs that, uh, that corrupt their society so much. And those two forms of, of, um, of constraints on, on trade and you would have a good, mighty good solution to their, their anxiety about you know, mass migration. People don't want to leave everything that's familiar with them uh, just because. In fact, my own research shows that when people come to the United States, if they really were just coming for welfare, then they would go to the states with the most welfare. But my research shows that both the domestic-born population and the foreign-born population, once they're in the United States, they move overwhelmingly away from the states with the most welfare and to the states with the least amount of welfare because that's where the the costs are, are the least the the opportunities for for uh, uh, new businesses and, and employment uh, occur starting up businesses so it was only a couple of months ago that we were i don't want to say praising but golf clapping uh joe biden for his at least now rhetoric on opening up the borders and opening up immigration and now we kind of walked it back a little bit. So what happened there? Well, I think um, 
it, it is a, a different attitude towards, uh, you know, immigrants that, that they're at least human beings. I think Trump, you know, treated them as, as trash, you know, um, and the, the treatment of, you know, uh, uh, separating families at the borders and all that, that was uh, pretty egregious, I thought. And Trump, I mean, and, and uh, Biden says he's not going to turn away, uh, you know, unaccompanied minors who are, who are desperate and so on at the border. I, that's, that's nice, but I would say let them all, you know, don't, don't prevent their yeah. parents from coming with them. Well, that, that might be in the rhetoric, but I, one of the reports was that those uh, overflow facilities, as they're calling it now, was at like 700% overcapacity. So he yeah, may not be turning them away, but he's also they, not cutting them loose. Like what's, Well, you know, that's true. That's right. That's right. You know, I wish they, had, instead of spending $10 billion on that uh, wall, they had spent $10 billion. Well, I mean, just facilitating people integrating into society. I wouldn't say necessarily building more government housing at the border, but uh, just, uh, you know, those people are incredibly resilient. If they just let them loose, they would find employment. They would, they would be, uh, they would be creating employment. They would be building houses. They would be, uh, you know, taking care of themselves. They wouldn't, but now, you know, as it is, they say, well, you just, still have this long process you have to go through some government facility well at least build more government facilities you know like we were talking earlier when when walmart has more customers they build more stores as quickly as they have new customers not the u.s government yeah more customers and that say it's almost a bother to them well then let's crowd them in together and make it more uncomfortable yeah well i I get you know my example i go back to the private club right there there it's it's not like you can set up that type of thing like a walmart at any retail location right there there are certain features that are scarce um land distance being one here in new hampshire um and so rather than expand the club or build a second club they just cut off membership you know so nope go find we don't mind if you go shop somewhere else sam's club loves it if costco says we're not going to accept any more customers because then they get more customers. That's the great thing about the competitive market. I mean, yeah, if you, if you're going to be uh, exclusive and, and uh, resistant, then the great thing about the marketplace is that the customers will take advantage of your short sightedness. And I almost want to say maybe because one of the, uh, one of the big opportunities I think for Sam's club and the, you know, club memberships early on during the pandemic stage, was when Costco said like, nope, if you're not wearing a mask, we don't want you as a customer, right? You, you anti-maskers, no, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I went, oh, great. You know, everyone's going to shop at Sam's Club, you know, or, or here we have BJ's. Uh, turned out not to be the case because Sam's Club, BJ's, and all those other places, lockstep, right? Like, nope, not here either. And basically blackballed an entire segment of the community. Well, that was probably due to the government mandate that said that they were going to come and shut them down if they didn't. Um, it, it wasn't like allowing Sam's Club and Costco to decide which is the most suitable, safe environment and uh, for their for their customers, where they could be inventive and creative in how they uh, uh, attracted customers. Instead, you know, the state mandates uh, masks and, and certain things or we'll shut you down. Yeah. See, and I'm not, so that's why they ought to do that. 
I'm not certain that was the case, at least not here in New Hampshire, because I, I, I debate this with other people here um, because I sound hypocritical and I know I sound hypocritical when I say it. Um, the for, for the people who are more anti-mask than they are pro-liberty, right? At least here in New Hampshire, the governor's mask orders availed us a level of protection right against those sorts of things and alleviated those organizations the burden of being enforcers of those mandates so again here in new hampshire uh there's a mask order statewide mask order in place you know in all public spaces businesses yada 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 so on and so forth uh, but built into it was an exception right uh, if you have you know any number of these exemptions, including medical exemptions, you don't have to wear a mask. And then, you know, subparagraph two, section B said, like, no one may question you on those exemptions. So you just go, nope, I don't uh, I choose not to. I, I have a medical exemption and you're you, they can't say anything. Right. Um, so if you were Sam's Club and you heard Costco was like, you know, no mask, no entry. Right. And you, you go like, OK, you can shop here as long as you have an exemption, right? Um, I did a, a, a training course a couple of weeks ago and, you know, because of, because of the rules, right. Along with the registration email and all this was, was the, uh, medical exemption waiver, right. For, for mask wearing. And it was basically like, you know, a, a stamped piece of the, of the governor's, uh, mask order with all the exemptions going. And it said, I'm trying to pull it up here as I look at it. And it basically said, um, if you if 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 you have one of these right, if, uh, I've declined to wear a mask right. Like I have one of these exemptions uh, above signed right. So the the facility covers their ass uh, because hey, it's your signature on the paper claiming that you have an exemption, um, and they're not allowed to question it right. So it was it was a wink and a nudge. They're like, eh, you don't have to wear a mask here. I I, I think you know knowing that especially here stores wouldn't have to enforce it unless it was policy and if it was policy and your competitor did it and there was backlash and then you did it too i kind of you know i question that why would you do that why not take advantage of the competitor's you know ill behavior and then you know avail yourself to new business so i don't what i'm saying is i don't necessarily think it's all government mandates that cause businesses to make those decisions I'm wondering if it's also related to fear of liability. You know that uh, you know, if someone says that they got, uh, they contracted it, or, or an employee, you know, might say, "Well, uh, you know," because a nice thing about an employer is you can say, "Well, I'm going to ask every em em employee at my company." I thought about this with regard to to school. You know, and supposedly uh, teachers are worried about getting coronavirus, so they don't want to meet in third in place with the students. And the um, school has put in place all sorts of measures to mitigate the concerns about the disease. But then they say, well, but you have to meet with the students. Um, and uh, if to be employed here, I'm requiring you to sign a waiver that you won't sue me for any liability. You're taking the full risk upon yourself if you get sick on, my, uh, uh, on the establishment. You're not going to sue me. Um, I think a, an employer has a right to do that. But right now, I don't think the government would uh, would abide by that signed waiver of liability. They would they would allow someone to sue them anyway. Yeah, 
I question I question the sincerity of those teachers personally. Um because to me it seems like they, they got a taste of getting paid to not do a lot of work. And now, you know, they're like, okay, vaccines are in place, mask wearing's in place, social distancing's in place, we sanitize everything. Now you gotta work again. And like, no, too scary, too fucking scary. Like classroom with 30 kids, forget about it. You know, I I like teaching in my pajamas behind a computer screen now and they just don't want to go back to work yeah yeah because there, there's all kinds of teachers I, there, there are some who are exactly like that who would uh just take the easiest way out but i would say that is more likely in government government schools with government teachers than in private schools i think sure in private schools and private teachers are chomping at the bit to get into the classroom with the students because it makes so much of a difference Funny because so before this coronavirus, I was under all kinds of pressure by the the other teachers to to get technical, you know, to get uh, to start doing classes online. That's the wave of the future, and I just never saw it. None none of my students ever said they wanted my classes online. But then uh, uh, suddenly now, you know, with the uh, where everything's online, people came to realize, oh, this is pretty awful, you know. Nobody learn, people don't learn nearly as, as well uh, as they did in the classroom when it's face-to-face and you can have interaction and you have questions and, and discussion. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of flipped this whole thing around in a way. But I think there is a big difference. There are all those kinds of teachers. Some of them are really dedicated and some are not. Well, and those that the are really dedicated about can the be private in the private sector. Case, the great thing about the private sector is you can fire a teacher who doesn't care. And... Uh, easier and uh in the government sector you just can't you've, you've got to keep the worst and uh treat them little gods and goddesses even if they're bad teachers sure private sector you either show up to work to teach in front of the class of 30 students or you don't right but there's no <laughs> you're fired yeah um, yeah which yeah. seems like a better model right seems like it would vet out those who don't want to do the job um uh, one more one more quick antidote with with the mask thing like i'm at my job, uh, I am pretty hands-off when it comes to the masks, right? Like, if you want to wear one, wear one. You don't want to wear one. You're not going to catch a lot of grief from me, uh, mostly because it's stupid, right? Like, you, you come in with a mask on, and then we got to go look at a unit, and then I'm standing near you, and we're, you know, we're out and about. And so to, to interact properly, we're going to be in close proximity regardless. Uh, but I had, you know, I have a, a regular customer who comes in, you know, to pay his bill monthly, and he's a cool guy. Uh, so we always, you know, we, we, we chit chat in a little bit while he's out, out and about. Um, uh, but I watched him, he pulled up to the, to the, to the facility and then walked to the door and then realized he had forgotten his mask in the car. So he walked back to his truck and then he put on his mask and then he walked back into the door, opened the door, came inside and immediately pulled the mask down to start talking to me. <laughs> And I laughed. So I did. I laughed. I laughed. I'm like, what the hell was that, man? You know, like, why'd you, why did you go back and get the mask? Number one. And then if you were going to go back and get the mask, why, why did you immediately pull it down as soon as you walked in the door? Like no sense. And his, he was like, ah, oh, it's just force of habit at this point, man. Like, it, you know, after, you know, close to a year of being mandated to do it, whatever, it's just, it, it's, he's been trained right to to oh shit forgot the mask in the car uh and and to put it on so i don't know it just it's anecdotal but at the same time is is that 
is that you know where the future is taking us where people are socially pressured into doing those things right going back to the costco and sam's club example is it social pressure that you know would would cause uh sam's club to to not market towards an audience who's you know mass leaving costco because they disagree with the policy i don't know again seems 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 like it may have been a government induced problems uh problem but it also seems like um it's prolonged less by government decree and more by social pressure and i don't i don't know what the well, that's, solution to that that's, is that's beautifully said and because i i think that there are problems in society but the market is always eager to find solutions to it and what gets in the way of finding those solutions is the government's reaction that usually uh, either creates the problem or just makes it worse or longer drawn out where solutions are not allowed. So let's, let's go back to immigration and kids in cages then. Um, I don't, again, it's difficult for me. I don't know if I necessarily see a market solution because to me, the current policy uh, dictates that you will get more unaccompanied minors, right? Like you, you're not going to let the parents in. Um, you're not going to turn the unaccompanied minors away. Um, like it or not, those groups of people that send their kids over are selfless in a way because they're giving up their relationship with their children because they believe that sending them across the border unaccompanied is going to lock in a better life for them. Right. And if you're not sending them away, I think the, the United States government is asking for more minors to be sent over the border unaccompanied, right? Cause not sending them away, not sending them back, uh, and not, but not letting the parents come in with them, uh, that you're, you're doomed to get more of the same in increased numbers. Uh, and so if you're saying, well, we're not going to send them away, like whose responsibility is it to build more federal facilities, number one. Uh, and if you're going to let the market decide, how would the market handle that? Like, okay, the, can you get that many foster parents? Said, the, the key thing that you said right at the beginning, I don't see a, I don't see a market solution here. And, and I, I see what you're saying because usually people are looking at one part of the problem, you know, but the market solution um, would involve instantly. Like, okay, suppose I'm, I'm the president and I say, okay, the way we're going to solve this instantly is number one, we end all the trade barriers so that you can buy anything you want from those people in those countries. So, oh, you can buy sugar at one fifth the price. Well, you know, Coca Cola is going to instantly change their contracts and they start buying from from uh, from uh, Guatemala instead of buying from uh, Louisiana because they can get their sugar so much cheaper. Uh, number two, you end the drug war today. Ah, sorry, the drug war is over. All those guys who the, the gangs and, and uh, corrupt officials who are earning fortunes from uh, the drug war, uh, they're, they're out of business. Uh, you you want to buy uh, drugs and, and uh, stuff like that? It's uh, open season. It's open market. Number two, you instantly stop all the uh, funding of corrupt uh, officials and government agencies in other countries that are, uh, you know, they, they have to actually behave now to... Um, and, and behave nicely to their own population in order to stay in power instead of just rely on government, uh, U.S. government uh, support. And those three kinds of things, and you do uh, enormous uh, benefit for this uh, diminishing the whole motive for, for uh, migration. And then you allow people to work. 
you know, you don't say uh, you've got to get permission to work. Anybody can work at any age. Allow these kids to work at any age um, and uh, allow anyone to hire them. Uh, you know, there's no child labor law, no minimum wage law. Uh, in other words, these are market solutions to a problem that I think in a very, very quick um, uh, pattern of time could turn the whole situation around dramatically. Of course, none of it is practically acceptable under the, with the general uh, attitude that people have towards uh, the way things are. You have to move at glacial paces. Yeah. Um, but there are market solutions that would solve it, I well, think, right away. I, I hear your well. I hear your solution, and to me, it sounds preventative, right? Like, had we done this, we wouldn't be in the situation that we had we're we're in now, um, and also future looking, insofar as if we do this now, this is what we can expect to happen in the future. Um, but I don't, I don't, I'm not making the connection between um, open up free trade and relax the drug laws to. What do we do with all these children currently stuck in cages? Let them out. <laughs> well, okay, but let's 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 again remember that some of these are actual children, right? They're not all you know teenagers, uh, able-bodied, willing to work. Uh, are there well, are there facilities in place? Are there orphanages ready to go? The ones uh, that are there are, foster care lined up the ones, to, to take the those ones that people are in actually. Uh, incapable children uh, aren't the ones that came over by themselves. So if, if they are children, they came with somebody who's maybe slightly older that, that helped them. And, uh, you know, if they if they made it that far, um, letting them out wouldn't be uh, the worst thing ever because, you know, they've, they've proved themselves at least uh, to be able to uh, travel by themselves uh, or with somebody that they trust. So, See, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I accept that because, you know, with the Trump thing, we talked about the coyotes. Um, I, I don't have like the documentation in front of me. I'm not Alex Jones, could, but I can definitely see like a different word for what's, coyotes. Could could we just call them travel agents? Sure. Uh, you, you put your you put your kid on the van with the travel agent, right, to make sure that the kid gets across the border. Um they're on a, they're an unaccompanied minor. They're not accompanied by a parent, guardian, you know, older sibling. They're just in the care of the travel agent whose only job is to get them across the border um, and then hand it off to somebody else. But right now, I'm I'm sure there's a percentage of those kids in cages uh, who are brought over by travel agents, right, who have no place to go, right? There's, there's no body, there's no uh, entity on this side of the border um, able to take them in at the moment um, and you know, call into question the detective work of the United States federal government, but there's no one to send them back to on the other side. And so that's, that's the market solution I'm looking for. You know, the, the teenagers, the able-bodied, yeah, fucking put them to work, let them pick lettuce and, and start making some money. Um, but well, there's a percentage prior, in prior there. To, you know, years, a hundred years ago, it was American companies who were so eager for hiring people that they sent, con uh, uh, recruiters abroad to China and Japan and Portugal and other places to recruit them and hire them in location. And then they brought them because they, they had, they were contract laborers. They already had contracts when they came and, and you can bet if, if it was allowed, there'd be instantly, um, uh, contract 
people who would who would be recruiting them already and providing them with jobs uh, right at the borders or even before you know they'd go down to Honduras and say would you okay. here, sign up here and uh, we'll provide you jobs in the in the automobile factory okay and they'd have jobs before they even left Honduras and again to me that sounds like a future solution right like if we implement this now this is what we can expect um, but I if you if you allow it today, uh, and you have companies going like, yep, we'll take that seven-year-old girl, put her to work in the factory. Uh, I think even if the government allowed it, uh, the social pressure, right, which, again, I, I think is a thing, um, would be too harsh for companies to make that transition immediate. And you're still stuck with what to do with these miners. Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. But I, I've never known you to shy off from from proposing a solution that social pressure might might reject because uh, that's what your whole thing is you're 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 I'm whole... not saying you shouldn't do it I'm not saying it's a bad idea yeah. I'm saying you know my my concern is like the immediate care and safety of uh, uh of migrant children you know currently in cages and at the border facility right like mm. my 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 original uh thought was I don't see a market solution evolving or developing to solve that and i've heard your solutions and i don't disagree with your solutions i think they're fantastic i just don't think they solve the immediate crisis um that those children find themselves into i think they're great uh, theoretical solutions i think they're great economic solutions i think they would be great policy solutions again which would have prevented this from happening in the first place and can alleviate it from happening in the future but as we sit in the present I'm not hearing anything that gets those kids out of cages and into some sort of safe harbor uh, where they can, you know, either return to school or develop skills or, you know, work in some form or fashion. Well, I, I think if the, if the government or uh, the leftists who say they care about these kids actually cared, um, then there would be plenty of people coming to pick them up and, and shelter them and, uh, put them in some type of education or uh, something better than sitting in a in a government cage. So um, I I don't buy the idea that any of them actually care. And since they don't actually care, <laughs> since they don't actually care, don't put them in cages. Let them out. Uh, you know, let let people come and help them if they can, and if they want to. And if they don't want to, then. Uh, oh, well, you know, um, there's lots of people all over the world who are suffering and there's lots of opportunity. Like if, if you want to help people, there's people all over the world you can help. And there, and yet there's still people that, that, that need the help. So, um, it, uh, yeah, so I, I don't like the, uh, what do you call it? The, the virtue signaling, uh, you know, by people like AOC who like, oh, these, these poor kids. And then like, well, you know, first step to me is is don't put them in in a government cage, uh, and then solutions can come up. You know, yeah. whatever that solution is. So, no, again, I hear you. I just you know, if if let's we open up the cage door, we got like, all right, you kids are free to go, right? There's going to be a line of libertarian charity workers going like, okay, come with well, us. Not necessarily liber- libertarian. It it could be you know hardcore leftists that that. You know, the ones that claim that they care, you know, okay. well, you, you <laughs> already, you already said, and I agree with you that they are likely virtue signaling and wouldn't, wouldn't show up for that. Event. Right. I, I'd like a different type of crisis. You know, I'd, I'd like it to be 
okay, there's these, you know, uh, kids walking, you know, kids from Mexico walking around aimlessly. Oh, what do we do? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that sounds like a much more interesting problem than than uh, a government created one. <laughs> okay, well, okay, let let me transition that one for you then, because to me, what that sounds like, well, the, the likely scenario that that happens right? is just like what happens in impoverished neighborhoods, right? Is those uh, walkabouts get recruited by gang members to take care of them, right? And then are transitioned into a life of crime or violence. And and that's why uh, KS uh, gave the example of ending the, the drug war too. And so uh, if whatever they get recruited by, whether it, you know every everything would be uh, a legal employment opportunity. All right. Yeah, if they have the have the, the option for um, uh, you know working at McDonald's or or uh, selling their bodies in sex slavery, uh, I think they would prefer McDonald's. You know, um, it, where they're you know they're free to go. You know, as opposed, to, I mean, once the options are open to them and they're allowed to do something. People choose things that are better for themselves and things that are less good for themselves. Yeah. And I, again, consider me, you know, skeptical. Uh, I I think there will always be criminals and there will always be some sort of criminal enterprise um, in, in those areas, in the red markets, right? If you remember like the, the black, white, gray, red market thing, right? There, there are things that are immoral and illegal, um, and I still think that, you know, there will be those who operate in that market. And I think if you, if you let, uh, miners walk about freely, you know, with no place to go, uh, no, no, uh, employment opportunity on the horizon necessarily, right. Because infrastructure takes time to build. Um, even if you're like, oh, Walmart would love to have them, but there's, you know, Walmart's full, uh, it takes time to build up a new Walmart. I, you could get that recruit, the, taking them into the red market and, you know, figuring it out from there. That's it. So shall we talk about the other crisis in the world right now? Do you guys yeah. have enough toilet paper? Are you worried? <laughs> Are you We're stocked up. Yeah. This is, this is a weird thing, right? Like uh, a boat gets stuck in the Suez canal. Right. And then they're like, better stock up on toilet paper again. Cause global trade oh, no. is about to shut down. Uh, they're going around the the southern cape of Af- Africa, I think. It That's a long trip, days. man. It takes twelve more days, but consider only twelve more days. I mean, that that's a lot of big expense and a little more time. Um, but it is remarkable that they can still do that trip around Africa in twelve days. I mean, you know, just two hundred years ago, it used to take two months to go around Africa. <laughs> so, all you really are you saying all you really need is two weeks worth of toilet paper? Then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so obviously you don't think this is as big of a crisis as the news media is making it out to be. Then, uh, but one of the one of the articles that I came across said that that the the shipping industry, I don't the, the shipping industry as a whole, by not being able to go through that uh, the, the the that canal, is losing four hundred million dollars an hour. Right, that's that's the economic cost to this boat having turned sideways. Does, not concerned by that either i'm not very worried about it i mean there were a couple wars that shut down the suez canal and didn't bring the world's economy to a halt um the 
the world's economy is incredibly resilient. They have enormous, uh, um, as we've seen in this whole last year, you know, they shut down the, the world's economy, it seemed, and then suddenly we realized that uh, there's an enormous um, uh, buffer where people are able to, to shift gears and go in different directions and work around problems. And uh, I think this is going to be a blowover just like that. All right. Fair enough, then. I mean, but I mean, I, I think it's still an impressive thing. I mean, I, I love seeing those pictures of the of the ship sideway blocking the canal and all those ships from the uh, pictures from the satellite showing all the ships that are that are backing up trying to get through. Um, but, uh, you know, if worse comes to worse, they can. Um, well, I mean, they, they are trying to tug it out of out of there and they could probably blow it up too if they had to clear i think they've they failed they, at the tugs and they're they're waiting for the tides to roll in and they're trenching it out is the latest that i've seen but you, oh, you mean digging out and around it well and also yeah. they can they can remove if they they could take another ship next to it and unload a bunch of the uh the containers to lighten it and let it um, rise up a little bit more okay i don't know how much tide is a factor there but i imagine it's and i and current i don't know is it is there a current that keeps pushing it into the bank that that's hard for it to uh to get out of uh that i don't know i i i, I don't know if it's permanent if it's just wedged in there and needs to be like you know dredged out um or if it's continuously being pushed and that's what's making it more difficult i don't have a good answer for you on that one i, I I think it's so impressive seeing what they what did they say they've got twenty thousand containers on that ship or something like that. Well, and some livestock. Yeah. There's some like there's some animals about to be dead oh, really? on there. Oh wow, yeah. But it's it's an impressive thing, um, and I like I I can't wait to show my students this stuff because I don't think they have any grasp of what the world's economy, um, what's behind the toilet paper that they that they enjoy, you know, it comes miraculously out of off the shelf every time they want it. And where did it come from? How did they get there? I think this, this sort of stuff is a nice reminder about how incredibly huge the world's economy is and, and uh, interconnected. Well, you said, you said the world economy is fairly resilient. The news articles again are, is saying that it's, it's quite fragile. If a sideways boat can, you know, bring it to a screeching halt, uh, so quickly that everyone's starting to panic. But I, what, I, what I'm hearing from you, and I just want to, re, you know, make sure that I'm clear on what you're saying is not that not as big of a deal as the media is making out to be. There is already solutions that extend the time uh, to get that stuff, you know, to to market. Uh, but overall, you know, the the resilience of the global economy will will prove out, and that you know, items will be stocked uh, maybe a little bit later than you would expect by 12 days or so. And, and look at another fantastic aspect of the market economy. Already, the lawyers are going crazy over lawsuits of, of, of um, uh, you know, from their insurance companies. And the insurance company, you, you, the great thing about this is that the insurance companies having to pay out an enormous amount on this makes them all the more careful that this doesn't happen again the next time. I mean, that you know the. They're going to be examining this this case forward and backward. What went wrong? Okay, it was a big wind and a big dust storm, maybe in, in, uh, obscured visibility, but they have radar. 
what can they do that would that would make this so it won't happen the next time? And if it costs billions of dollars in lost damages and so on like that, um, well, you can bet they're going to be implementing lots and lots of measures so it's less likely to happen in the future. They just now, do- deepened the canal and widened it so that they could accommodate this size of a container ship. This is the largest container ship in the world. And, and uh, so they're dealing with a new kind of container. And of course, Egypt is not the most bureaucratically efficient uh, country in the world. Yeah. But they're under a lot of pressure from those who are earning a lot of money to say, get your act together or, or we're going to ship our stuff in another direction. See, that, that kind of reminds me of the original toilet paper crisis and also the Texas freeze over from a couple of months ago where it's such, it's such a one-off situation, right? Like the chances of this happening were so slim to begin with. The chances of it happening are so slim, you know, going into the future that I don't, I don't know if those involved are going to be willing to incur the expense or to put forth the cash necessary right to widen and deepen the channel uh in the off chance right that a boat turns starts drifting sideways again you know like you dig it out you proceed as normal you you know save that money that would be spent because eh, you know chances are you're not gonna have to incur it again for a very long time no well it's part of the of the calculation now for every shipping company, how risky is it to go through the Suez Canal yeah. as opposed to the alternative, you know? And if they're shipping from, well, now for oil that's going from the Persian Gulf to the to the Middle East, it also makes you realize how incredibly vulnerable that whole oil, oil supply line is. Kind of makes uh, you wish there was a pipeline, maybe, right? Yeah, well, and it raises the, the, the risk cost factor, which means the insurance cost of of oil and therefore the cost of a barrel of oil from the Middle East. So therefore it becomes more attractive to get your oil from the oil sands in Canada or somewhere than, uh, or even alternative sources. Maybe, maybe when they consider the feasibility and the risk of uh, oil from the Middle East, which is always a, a volatile area compared to maybe a higher cost of, um, you know, wind or, or, or tidal wave uh, energy or whatever, and these are all nice factors to figure in. There are safer places in the world to do business with um, on all sorts of supply routes. Fair enough. MC? That's all. Thanks. All right. Final thoughts? Either of you? Good time. All right. That'll do it for us then. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com. Uh, on Telegram, which I had a bunch of headlines lined up that we did not need to get to. Uh, so if you want to check out those headlines on Telegram, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. <laughs>